your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. On tonight's show, Dr. Amelia Barilli talks with us about the benefits of yoga and Qigong. Joshua Muscat, founder of the San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic, discusses the benefits of herbal medicine. And Jeff Levin of the Oakland Acupuncture Project will share information about the benefits of acupuncture. We're your hosts, Teresa Adams and Miss M. Stay with us. Welcome back. Tonight's show is about some of the components of the growing field that has generally been called alternative medicine. However, many alternative practices are now very much in the mainstream, at least in California. Tonight, we're providing information that listeners can use to make personal decisions about these modalities. Information provided during this radio show is neither intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice and is not intended to replace the services of a physician. You should not use information you hear tonight to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without personally consulting a qualified health care provider. Now that we have that out of the way, our first guest, Dr. Amelia Barilli, is both a professor at UC Berkeley in the Languages Department and a proficient instructor of yoga and Qigong. Welcome, Amelia. Hi, lovely to be here with you. Welcome, Amelia. Tell us a bit about your journey in learning the practices of yoga and Qigong. Well, it's a long journey. It started in the 70s when I went to India to study in a school that trained yoga teachers to teach yoga in India um, and stayed there for a whole year studying the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and different practices that were used for yoga therapy to um, understand that the body, the mind and the spirit are really a continuum. Sometimes we think we'll take the body to the doctor, the mind to the psychologist and the spirit to church or praying or some other form of a spiritual practice, but really it's all one organism. So um, that experience there um, got me very interested in all this um, communicating uh, interfaces between all these different dimensions of what it means to be a human being. And since then, I have been studying yoga and teaching it. And also I learned with teachers from Qigong. Um, there are many, many forms of Qigong. Maybe later we'll explain what is Qigong and, um, and how yoga and Qigong are really so complementary. So what are some of the goals of yoga? Yoga, um, I mean, the Bible of yoga is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is a book that was written um, 
around the time of Christ. Some people say before the Christ era and some people say uh, in the first or second century. But it's mainly about uh, the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. So it's how to calm the mind so that the whole mind, body, spirit continuum can be at peace and then the energy can flow and people can be healthy. So yoga today in the West often is um, identified with asanas, with postures, uh, sometimes with pranayama, the breathing practices. But really in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, there are only three of the aphorisms, which are about 196 aphorisms, that are about the asanas. All the rest is about practices to um, cultivate inner peace. And, and so yoga really is um, the state of the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind and also the practices that bring you to that state. So it's, it's basically cultivating inner peace. It's an empirical science of cultivating inner peace that has been developed through at least 3,000 years, even before Buddha. I mean, wow. the Buddha had among his teachers some mm -hmm. people that were teachers of yoga, of a spiritual yoga. Yeah, I think when I first was attracted to the, bliss, the discipline, it was after I learned about the amazing abilities of yogis and how they could control their so-called autonomic functions. And I said, well, that is really great because if you can get your body out of your, your body into control, then you can let your spirit and your uh, other aspects develop. Right, because if you think, you know, sometimes people think the mind, like if the mind was a thing that was independent from the body, but mind is really more a verb than a noun, it's more minding, it's a process, and that process happens through the body. So one way to access the mind is to learn these practices that go through the body to the more subtle body of the energy of the emotions and and the perspectives we have and the stories we tell ourselves and why we get so anxious about things. Um, tell us a little bit about the discipline and the practice of Qigong. Qigong, some people call it like the Chinese yoga. Um, it's different in the sense that the Chinese have developed the understanding of the uh, subtle body, the energy of the body as uh, acupuncture points that we are going to be hearing more today and then as rivers of energy that connect all these different acupuncture points and that belong to different organs. So okay. what what the Qigong practice, Qigong means uh, practice working with the energy of life and something very interesting that the uh, Qigong masters develop again about 3,000 years ago, <clears throat> is that the emotions and the organs are directly related. For example, if you are under great grief, probably your lungs are going to be very affected. There is a direct relation between grief and, and weakness in the lungs and and between fear and kidneys and, and anger and liver and gallbladder. And so it's just very interesting that Knowing this, some of these basic understanding things, we can learn practices that are simple uh, through acupuncture and breathing and contemplative practices that can help develop resilience and well-being. So the, the two kind of work together. I think that's very interesting that because people probably don't always think about the fact that whatever emotion you have 
it has a physical direct um, impact on how you feel physically. Right. For example, if you are anxious, it affects also your digestion or, you know, if, if, if we if we just for a moment think, we realize that mind is an embodied process and that so we can access through the body to also um, influence the mind and correlatively we can also work with contemplative practices and uh, different understandings to help uh, calm the body so <laughs> that's amazing so in your um, workshops you address some of these things tell us a little bit about the workshops um, I do um, well, I, I teach in the Berkeley in in the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. Have a series of classes on Monday nights. Um, the next series I have been doing it for over ten years, and uh, it always runs parallel to the semester because as, as I'm a teacher in UC mm -hmm. Berkeley, uh, when I'm not. Uh, working in UC or at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, I often expend periods of silence, whatever. So it's always parallel to mm -hmm. the semester. So our next session is starting on January 30th, and it's every Monday night from 7.30 to 9. And we learn these practices that can help you with insomnia, with uh, digestive problems, with uh, emotional problems that interfere with relationships. And mainly what I teach is a combination of yoga and Qigong, but not the asanas and not the movements of Qigong, which is what most people identify with them, but right. more the contemplative practices that accompany this and that are very subtle but very powerful. And how long are the classes? I mean, how long is the series? It's 12 classes. So if someone wants to come to learn that, they need to commit to the 12 classes. It's not drop-in classes. Uh, or if not, if they cannot do that, then there is the workshops which are weekend workshops. And I do that once or twice a year at uh, Mama Donna Center in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains. The next one coming up is uh, March 17 to 19. So tell us a little bit about that, because that's a deeper experience. That's more like a retreat. Yeah. yeah, that's a retreat. So you learn similar practices to the ones that I'm teaching at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, but you go through an experience of immersion, which is very particular in its own way, because you are in this place, which is really beautiful in the mountains, you know, surrounded by redwoods, and often we practice in nature and all that. And we start on... Um, uh, Friday afternoon and then we practice that Friday all Saturday and a good part of Sunday so you learn all these practices at once and are all the time kind of um, building uh, a practice that then when you go home you can practice uh, because they are easy practices and like like you were mentioning today uh, I also assist students to decide what is the practice that they are taking you mm -hmm. know what combination of practices would suit them better of what I have shown them that weekend oh great so they can get um, a consultation and find out what fits them and how to progress even yes. further on their own yes okay yes that's, that's great to know and then um where can they um, contact you when they want to know about the classes? If they want to know about the um, workshops or they could uh, look in the internet, mountmadonna.org, mm -hmm. and then look in programs and then they will see all the data referred to the retreats. And if they want to come to the classes at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, they can write to me at Amelia 
A-M-E-L-I-A, like Amelia Earhart. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amelia B. Uh-huh. as Berkeley, at berkeley.edu. And, and then they, if they have any kind of questions. I mean, it, it's very, these are very easy practices that anyone can practice. It doesn't matter if they don't know yoga, if they are old, if they, you know, it's, they are very gentle. So, you know, there, there is no contraindications. Nice. And then the, the other thing I'd like to know is how much, um, the, what's the cost of the classes? Well, uh, there is a donation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the suggested donation is either 15 or 20. Um, could also be 10 uh, for each class. Okay. Uh, so, but people need to commit in the beginning and pay for the whole class. If they are totally strapped of money, they can, you know, pay less. Let's say five. Uh, for 12 so that it would be 60 but it's, it's very important that people commit in the beginning and they pay something because I have done it often not charging anything and people tell me oh yes 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 I, I promise I'll come and they start coming and say this is fabulous oh and then something happened and they just move away and and this is a very common um um, experience in the yoga and in any spiritual practices, people start and then when they, when life throws things to them, they feel, oh, I need to do this urgent thing first. And so they stop the practice, even if they love the practice. But the thing is, is when you need it most. And I mm-hmm. know it's hard because I myself have done it, you know, and, and then it had taken a lot of discipline to actually say, well, no, this will never be put aside. It's like brushing my teeth. I flash my, my you know, I, I, I keep my mind clean mm-hmm. <laughs> by doing this every day. But I, I totally understand that people, unless they are committed, and sometimes the economic commitment makes them stay with the practice because they say, well, I already paid this. I'm going to show up. You know, they love it, but they, it's just a question of uh, really committing in more than one way. <laughs> and putting themselves first. Yes. 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 Their well-being before anything else. I can attest else. to that because I let my yoga practice go by the wayside when life <laughs> was throwing me some challenges. And now I think I need to revisit that. But speaking of revisit, you talked about some of the benefits um, for the body in using these practices, but there's also the benefit of creativity. Um, That's been mentioned because you have given classes to some of our lovely apprentices, and it stimulates creativity. Tell us about that as well. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's all related, right? When we are anxious about something or worried or uh, have personal problems or whatever that keeps coming up in front of the mirror of our mind and we uh, get trapped into that and so it, it obscures the possibility of having greater insights and greater flow uh, and then usually when we have challenges we have two ways of dealing with them uh, that are most more common one is to either repress them and negate everything but then the thing keeps festering inside and can uh, explode at any moment or the other is kind of uh, denying it and ignoring it and you know saying well no 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 nothing is happening uh, the spiritual way of dealing with it and and also something where these practices of acupressure release points and contemplative um, guidance and breathing etc are very powerful is that you actually witness whatever is arising and you accept it and so there is not so much energy wasted
interested in fighting what is, because what is, it is. It's not that we are going to accept everything, uh, like if we were lettuce, but um, we just kind of witness what happens, and then having compassion for ourselves and a loving awareness of what's going on, we start practicing, you know, if I'm angry, I hold my uh, middle finger. This is not a joke. There are points there mm-hmm. that you can hold and breathe deeply and it will calm your anger a little bit. Or if I have a lot of uh, anxiety, I may touch my um, sea of tranquility point in the center of my breastbone and do some deep breathings. And so that calms the emotions and then I see more clearly what to do. And that's where the creativity comes if you kind of keep doing these practices daily and using them when there is obfuscation, you get to have more clarity first and also more insights. Wow, that sounds so good and so soothing. <laughs> so if, again, for folks out there who may be interested, there are um, workshops at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery and those are going to start January 30th. And if you're interested, you can contact Amelia B., at berkeley.edu and then for information about the retreat workshops those happen at Mount Madonna in Watsonville go to mountmadonna.org for more information and we'll also have some information on the uh, KPFA website as well thank you so much Amelia and we'll be right back after a music break thank you thank you Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA Radio. That music was Lama Choyan Randrol's composition of Dreamy Elephant. And before the break, we heard from Amelia Borelli about the benefits of Qigong and yoga and how these movements can help maintain health and balance in our lives. We will have contact information for Amelia on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. But movement and balance is only one tool in the toolbox of alternative health. Our next guest, Joshua Muscat, is founder of the San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic, an organization devoted to providing affordable and effective health care through the modality of Western urban 
herbal medicine. They also act as an information resource for people interested in the use of botanical agents as medicine. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you for having me. Joshua, hi, this is Teresa. Will you please Will you please tell us a little bit about your practice? Certainly. So um, I founded the San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic about 23 years ago. Um, I got into Western herbal medicine because um, from the time I was an infant, I had pretty severe health issues that were not well addressed via conventional medicine. And so I spent most of my childhood and early teens being very, very ill. And, um, you know, one, one message I got from the medical doctors throughout my young life was that there was nothing that could be done to help. And I believed it. Um, but when I was uh, in my mid-teens, I met a man named Adam Seller, who is an herbalist who used to teach in Oakland. And um, he, you know, was very quickly able to um, assess what was going on with me and, and point me in the right direction towards getting help. And so I was uh, very grateful and also a bit annoyed that it had never been offered as an option to me to use the thing that was actually helpful, which was Western herbal medicine. And so, um, yeah, so I, I engaged in, you know, a long education process um, and decided that I was going to uh, spend my life bringing the possibility of what happened for me to other people. So, you know, essentially we use plant medicines in the clinic um, and we make all, the own, all of our own medicines. We try to focus on, you know, sustainable resources, meaning, you know, plants that we can gather from the wild within California and or plants that we get from, um, you know, cultivated sources throughout the state as well. So we we try to keep everything local so that we're not shipping, you know, medicines from across the world and using resources from far away. Um, and, you know, we, we offer a pretty wide range of healthcare services. Um, people seek help from us for all manner of different things. Like, uh, I do a lot of work with people with degenerative digestive conditions such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Um, I do a lot of work with people around anxiety and depression, um, a, a lot of long-term health issues, things like arthritis, uh, you know, um, you know, th- things like that. And so essentially with plant medicine, what we are often trying to attempt to do is teach the body new patterns. And I think that many people who enter my practice are interested in getting help but have very little concept of how plants can help. And I think on some level there is often an expectation that plants are just less harmful drugs, which I guess is one way to describe them. But they, they have a lot more to offer and much more subtlety and interconnectivity than I think pharmaceuticals do. Um, for instance, there's a class of herbs known as adaptogens. And as a general category, adaptogens are effective at helping to re-regulate some of the overarching regulatory processes in the body, such as the autonomic nervous system or the immune system or what's called the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is a communication pathway between the um, the brain and the hormonal systems in the body. And so, you know, when someone comes to me with a problem, I, you know, I, I don't, like if someone has asthma, for instance, I don't just think about how do we, you know, stop the inflammation in their lungs or stop the spasming in the lungs, although that is certainly a consideration. But I try to see 
deepens the problem to go several steps back and figure out what is the overarching pattern that's allowing this to exist in the first place. And um, in my particular practice, I use the language of medical science to describe that and to understand that. Um, in no way do, do I, you know, um, how do I say, like, um, disbelieve in other forms of herbal medicine, such as Chinese medicine that use a, uses a more metaphorical language, or Ayurveda that also uses a more metaphorical language. But it just happens to be that, you know, where I was born and raised in the United States, the predominant healthcare language is medical science, and so I chose to use a modality that used that language so I could speak to people's doctors in their own language. But I tend to take those um, ideas and apply them in a more patternistic and connected way and not so much of the reductionist pattern that tends to be present in um, you know, the, the medical practice that is the predominant healthcare paradigm. You and told so, us how you got started, and how did you develop the, the skills to work the level that you're at today? Well, um, I was very fortunate to have excellent teachers. Um, you know, I look back on, you know, the teaching field in the Bay Area as I was learning, and I feel so fortunate to have the teachers I did. I studied with Adam Seller, who I mentioned earlier, who was a brilliant herbalist who had a very deep knowledge of physiology and plant medicine. Um, I studied with Michael Moore, who is a well-known herbalist who's now deceased but has written many books that I would recommend. Um, Karen Sanders, who I, I'm not sure if she still is. She used to have a show on KPFA. I'm not sure if that's still going, but um, she was one of my teachers that I valued very much. Um, and so, you know, I spent years learning all of this uh, through intensive schooling. And then, you know, with, I think as with any form of medicine, though, you know, school can only teach you so much. You have to have real-life experience in order to really learn what you're doing with medicine. And now I'm 23 years into it into intensive practice and I feel like on some levels the longer time goes by the less I feel like I know um, <laughs> well yeah, really. one of the things that we want to know is can you tell us what is wild crafting wild crafting sure yes so that's a term that is used to describe the harvesting of plant medicines from wild lands and um Actually, um, you know, uh, I was called the San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic. I'm now called the Plumas Botanical Medicine Clinic. I actually moved from the Bay Area to a town called Quincy in Plumas County in California. Um, and, you know, there are many reasons for that, including, of course, the um, economic changes in the Bay Area that have been forcing so many people out. But, um, you know, part of why I moved to this area up in the mountains is that it's where a lot of the plants that I use grow wild. And so wild crafting refers to not just the harvesting of wild plants, but doing so with uh, a care and uh, carefulness for how we affect the wild populations. Um, I recently actually just met with the... Uh, some of the leaders of the local Native American uh, tribe that is from this area, the Maidu, and, you know, um, made sure to express my intentions to not, you know, deal poorly with the wild plant populations and also to make sure to ask for any feedback about how they would want the land dealt with. And that's something that's very important to me is not, is respecting the traditional practices of any given area and you know if without knowing you could accidentally walk into a sacred site and start taking you know people's very important uh, medicines that are part of their spiritual practice and I would never want to do that but also just the biology of the plants we do not want to deplete their 
populations. So we have to make sure to use them in a way that um, preserves their ability to exist long term. So, John, uh, Joshua, can you tell us how folks can avail themselves of the clinic's services? Yes. So, um, so you know, we are available for um, consulting about healthcare needs. Um, phone consultations are what we're mostly doing since we no longer are in the Bay Area, although we certainly work with people locally around here. Um, we also still have a presence at the Berkeley Farmers Market, which we've been doing since 1999. And while we do not provide consultations there, Oftentimes when I have a phone consult with somebody from the Bay Area, they will pick up their medicines that I prescribe for them there. And can you give us an overview of the uh, fee structure? So my, the consultation itself is $25 for the initial consultation. Follow-ups are only 10 so I don't charge very much for my actual you know, time. Um, herbs can vary quite a bit from situation to situation. Um, it could be anything from like a, for a simple cold or flu, maybe like 20 or $30 for, you know, some medicine. For people who are dealing with more intense long-term issues, um, usually we're working over the course of months and sometimes even years. And so I would say the average cost for a month's supply of medicine would be somewhere in the range of like $60 to $180 for a month's supply. It all depends on, you know, how much medicine is required for an individual situation. Oh, wow. Well, can you give us your contact information, please? Certainly. So the best phone number to reach me at is 530-283-9706. The email is skullcap, S-K-U-L-L-C-A-P, as in Peter, at um, sfbmc.org. And that stands for San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic because people often mishear those letters, and that's .org, not .com. Do you, want us to, uh, do you want to share any more information about what services the clinic provides? Well, um, we also are in the process of um, opening a school. So we, you know, we moved into the middle of the forest here in Plumas County, and we're actually constructing a building right now that is going to be our schoolhouse. And um, we're going to be offering a wide range of classes. Um, some of them are just going to be sort of, you know, community-level classes for people who just want to learn about, uh, you know, things to help them and their family. And, you know, we're going to be offering, like, weekend workshops for people that don't live in the area. But then we're also planning on offering a full clinical training program. So That's with fabulous. that, people would be able to move up here for, like, you know, half a year and then study with us intensively. And, uh, and you know, the way I kind of envision it sort of being like a finishing school for people who have already studied a decent amount and need some, you know, hands-on clinical training. Well, what are some of the um, benefits that um, people can look forward to when they use um, herbal uh, treatments as opposed to traditional medicines? Well, I mean, it's one, yeah, that's a good question because Sometimes the question comes up, like, if you can use drugs for something, you can use herbs for something, why would you choose one or the other? So one reason why I would often recommend herbs is because if chosen correctly, there should be no side effects. And so that's very different than pharmaceuticals, where side effects are often considered to be a necessary evil, so to speak. Um, and, and I don't view it that way. I mean, sometimes people will have minor things that happen in the beginning, but they usually resolve with herbs. They, they shouldn't be persistent. Um, Aside from that, there's just a lot that you can achieve with herbal medicine that, you know, cannot be 
achieved using pharmaceuticals. There's, you know, and one of those things would be that a person can have a health condition that can be completely resolved and you can stop using the herbs and it's still resolved. And that's generally speaking for a lot of the things I'm talking about, like colitis and Crohn's and whatnot, that's generally not possible using pharmaceuticals. Um, like just today I got news from someone who has a condition called um, mal-de-embarkment syndrome. And what that basically means is that if it feels like if you've ever been on a boat for a while, then God and often it feels like you're still on the boat where mm-hmm. you feel motion. Right. Some people have that, and every time they like get out of a car, and they could spend days feeling dizzy and all this kind of stuff. This person had this condition for like 20 years, and I just started working with them, you know, maybe two or three months ago. And today I got an email saying that it's gone. They they were able to ride a plane, no problem. Um, and so you know, things like that can happen oftentimes. Conditions that people have had for years and years and years, we're often able to find solutions for. Sometimes things that are very difficult or even impossible to treat medically are not that difficult from an herbal medicine perspective. That is so, so great, Joshua. We so appreciate that. Let's have your contact information one more time, please. Sure thing. The phone number is 530-283-9706. And the email address is skullcap, S-K-U-L-L-C-A-P, as in Peter, at sfbmc.org, and that stands for San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic. Okay, Joshua, uh, please stay on. Um, we're going to have another guest, but we want you to be on at the end when we have some listener call-ins. So uh, please Certainly. hang on, and now we're going to have a music break.
listening to Full Circle here on Pacifica Flagship Station, KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley. That was Hayden Pantier performing the song We Are Water. Tonight we're talking about health and wellness and some non-traditional ways to achieve them. Before the break, we heard from Joshua Muscat, founder of the San Francisco Botanical Medicine Clinic. Thank you, Joshua. Our next guest is Jeff Levin, owner and manager of the Oakland Acupuncture Project. The purpose of the Oakland Acupuncture Project is to make Chinese medicine accessible by providing affordable community-centered health care. All acupuncture treatments are individualized to meet your needs and are performed in a quiet community space. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Uh, The practice of acupuncture is now pretty much in the mainstream. So much so that many health insurance companies now pay for acupuncture treatments. For those who don't know, what is acupuncture? Well, acupuncture is the placement of thin stainless steel filaments in key spots around the body. Um, They usually are are along what we call meridians, which are energy lines that are mapped out along the body um, where there's a life force, which we call chi, that moves through those meridians. So we place those stainless steel filaments in just the right spots to make people feel better. Those tiny little needles. Tiny little (laughs) needles. It's about the, the thickness of an eyebrow hair. So tell us about the history of acupuncture. Where and how did it develop? Uh, Acupuncture um, started in China. Uh, The first text uh, to talk about acupuncture um, is called the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine that came out, uh, they say, about 100 BC. Um, It was probably practiced earlier, that text. uh, A lot of people think was kind of a compilation of a lot of um, other texts and ideas that have been floating around. Um, So there's a lot of theories about when it started, but it was probably before that text came out. Um, Over time, um, acupuncture developed and codified all these subsequent centuries. In China, interest waned in about the 17th century. Uh, Things came back in full force when uh, Mao came to power in 1949. Um, He wanted acupuncture to be uh, kind of the people's medicine. And so it became much more popular around that time. Um, came to uh, became much more popu- popular in the U.S. Uh, in the '70s, especially when in 1972 the Nixon delegation went to China. Um, and I think one of the uh, people in the press corps had some condition, his appendicitis, maybe, um, and received acupuncture during his uh, treatment for that in China. Um, so it got widely publicized. Who would who would even know something like that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, tell us a bit, and that's really interesting, and you can tell us a little bit more about that. But for right now, can you tell us how you became interested in um, acupuncture and a bit about your training in the field? Yeah, I became interested in acupuncture um, after getting acupuncture, um, decided to go to school in Berkeley at AIMC Berkeley. Um, uh, graduated, um, did private practice for a while, became interested in the community style of practicing and approached some of my schoolmates that had opened a clinic, uh, here in Oakland called Oakland Acupuncture Project. And, um, after a while, finally got hired, substituted there. Eventually they asked me to become a partner. Um, and I'm, uh, uh, one of the co-owners today of Oakland Acupuncture Project. We opened a second location in 2011, uh, and then in, uh, opened a third location last year in Sacramento called Sacramento Acupuncture Project. 
before we started, you were telling us a little bit about the NADA protocol. Could you tell us, share that information with our listeners? Yeah, so the, the NADA protocol, NADA stands for the National Association of Detox Acupuncture, and it's a really effective protocol for addiction, and it's also been used a lot lately for uh, uh uh, PTSD as well. Um, anxiety, depression is also really helpful for that. Um, it comes out of uh, a time in the South Bronx um, when uh, the the area was really inundated with heroin um, and Lincoln Hospital is kind of at the epicenter of that and there wasn't really any good effective treatment for addiction uh, at the time. So the Black Panthers and the Young Lords uh, came together and took over the hospital and demanded effective treatment for addiction because they wanted to help their community they were seeing their community being decimated by this epidemic. So they came up with uh, some treatment, and it, it involved acupuncture. Um, over time, there was a director, Michael Smith, who helped and found um, what became the, the Lincoln Detox Center um, and developed the NADA protocol, which is basically five points on each ear. And it's uh, incredibly helpful for addiction and PTSD, and it's kind of the corner become the cornerstone of of addiction treatment um, in the U.S. There's actually going to be uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Evelyn Williamson, is going to be doing a um, not a protocol for free uh, tomorrow uh, Sunday from 4:15 onward in Fruitvale for people uh, who are affected by the ghost ship fires. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, people being affected by the PTSD. So it's going to be in a facility, uh, uh, 2221 Fruitvale Avenue. That's great. Can you tell us what is the difference between body needling uh, versus ear needling or foot needling? Well, I, I mean, as you say, it's really just the location. You know, on the ear, they have an entire miniature body on the ear, so you can really access any point on the body on the mm. ear. So say you come in with low back pain, I'm going to needle the low back on your ear, or you have a thyroid condition, there's two thi- thyroid points on the ear, I would needle those probably in conjunction with maybe some other endocrine balancing points. Um, all the other points on the body usually fall. There's some extra points, but they usually fall along the meridians, the energy lines that run through the body. There's generally about six that go down each limb, and we can access the, um, those energy lines through those points on the hands and the feet. So if a person wants treatment, it really wouldn't matter that much whether it was done via the points on the body or the points on the ear? Yeah, sometimes people, I, I do an entire treatment just on the ear. And that's how the NADA protocol is done. You you go to a, an addiction center and there'll be a bunch of people sitting in chairs with 10 points, five in each ear. And that's the whole treatment. And you can see significant changes just with that. How often do they usually have to come for treatments like this in order when they start to see feel see and feel a difference for for addiction mm-hmm. when i work with people with addiction i t- i tell them to try to come every day so usually i say 3 to 5 days in a row um i i see a lot of people trying to quit smoking is the one i probably see the most and i tell them come through you know 3 to 5 days in a row usually the th- the first 3 days are the worst and then things start to get better and i say come as an as needed basis eventually it becomes cheaper than cigarettes. That's well, good to know. I think it's so great that this not a protocol was helped 
moved along by the, the Black Panthers and their insistence that this happened to, to treat people in the community, which leads me to ask, tell us about your community-based clinic. Tell us about your clinic. Well, like, like you said, we do all the treatments on a sliding scale between 15 and $35 with the idea that we want to make acupuncture accessible to everybody, that, that we want to have um, this, this healing be available to people who are working class. And so the affordability is just one aspect of making the medicine accessible as a whole. We're we're open seven days a week. We try to make people feel that all the practitioners are are fairly equal in their capabilities so that it doesn't matter whoever you come in and see, you're going to get a great treatment. Um, we have three locations, again, to make it accessible. And I think the open group setting lends to that as well. People are able to come in with their their partner, their parent, their child. I've had whole families come in, mom, dad, and the two kids. Uh, and we've treated everything from uh, three years old to 102, every spectrum of race and gender. So we try to really reach out to the community as a whole. And what other services do you offer in addition to acupuncture treatment? We mostly just do acupuncture. We do a lot of it and we do it really well. Uh, last year, I like we, that. <laughs> we did it. We did uh, 34,740 acupuncture treatments total between our three clinics. I understand that you also do energy, or at least one of the branches does energy work. What is that? Uh, we have one practitioner that does uh, different kinds of energy work, including Reiki. Uh, we have a couple of massage therapists as well. In our, our Sacramento branch, we have a massage therapist and a chiropractor. Um, so we try to keep space if we can for other practitioners. So people are able to, um, I call it the double feature when people do that. They're able to get a couple different modalities kind of all at the same time. They come in, get acupuncture, and then they're able to meet with another practitioner. So, I mean, what is energy work? Is that to stimulate energy or how, well, how does it work? Well, you know, honestly, you'd have to ask them. I, I feel like I would do a disservice to them to try to explain exactly what they do. So how can people get more information about the clinic? Um, you can go to our website, oaklandacupuncturproject.com. We also have an online scheduling program that you can access through there to schedule appointments through the website. Um, you can also call us on the phone, 510-999-4OAP. Uh, and email is oaklandacu at, at gmail.com. And we are going to have um, links to all of this information or information about the specific contacts on our kpfaapprentice.org um, website. So, um, again, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around because we'll be back um, after a short music break. And we will open up the phone lines and please call us at 510-848-4425. The number again is 510 510- Eight four eight four four two five. And now music break.
listeners out there. If you have a question or suggestion for one of our guests tonight, we would love to hear from you. Please call us at 510-848-4425. Once again, that number is 510-848-4425. We're listening. And that song you heard was Songs for the Ganges River, performed by Sylvia Bagg. So while we're waiting to see if we get any uh, questions or comments from our listeners, we're going to um, speak again with our guests, and we'll first start with Amelia and ask if she has anything. We'll just ask, you know, if anybody has anything additional to uh, share with us. We'll start with Amelia. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I'm seeing many people with a lot of grief and anger and fear uh, as we come closer to oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> January twentieth and <clears throat> also um, in my students uh, I know that there is a lot of uh, concern so um, that's where many of these practices I mean they are they are good for any upheavals in your own personal life or at work or whatever but at this particular time because also of the situation in the country uh, it's, it's a very important time for growth I mean what I'm trying to say is you know when I when I was wishing everyone happy new year I'm saying you know it's going to be a year of many challenges but also of many opportunities to grow personally and as a, as a nation and the way we need to do is first start working with ourselves to have some measure of inner peace so how how can you do it can you deny that what's going on is going on no I mean, you just, you witness it, but at the same time develop these personal skills of how to witness 
with more space. And for that, you take a deep breath, but you also use release points. You can use self-massage. You can use, you know, just start when uh, with all the small difficulties that may come into your daily life, use these practices that you can learn through the different people that talk tonight and also through the classes and workshops I teach, and then develop this inner space of strength and of peace because we are all really going to need it also to be to to be more clear about what to do you know once once the situation is as it is how how can we find a way out how can we find a way to assist each other instead of going into such kind of depression or anger that we cannot use anyone yeah help anyone else be of use to anyone else because we are going through these troubles so it's it's a it's a real call for all of us as a nation i think and as people and it's a it's a real time when we can use all these resources too Thank you. I think we have a call, and the caller is Allie, who has a question for Joshua. Okay, go ahead, Allie. Hello, Allie? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you now. Um, Please Uh, let us know your question. Can you talk about the remedies for Crohn's? Right, well, so one thing to understand about Crohn's and also many other conditions is that there's not a particular set of herbs that I would recommend to you know many different people. It's a highly individualized thing. Um, what, what I can, and I hope I'll, I'll have to try to do this very briefly, I can give you a sense of the thought process behind how I help people with Crohn's. So um, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. So basically, what I've noticed is that people who have Crohn's, it tends to be related to an chronic overactivation of the nervous system due to stress, anxiety, nervousness, whatever. There's a part of your nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system that gets overactivated when you're under stress. There's a whole wide range of physiological changes that happen in that context. Probably the most important one to focus on in this description, though, is that blood gets taken away from the digestive tract in that context. And why that is important is because we are constantly rebuilding our body on a cellular level. It takes about 18 months for the average person to go through a near-complete rebuild. And if blood is being directed away from an organ set, that particular organ set will atrophy, meaning it, 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 the old tissues are broken down, but new ones are not built up to replace them. And that creates a structural weakness. Um, and that's what I believe Crohn's used to be. And herbs can play a role in that by regulating the autonomic nervous system, which has to do with how that stress response is being manifested in the body. Um, we can use herbs to directly stimulate blood flow to the intestines and to stimulate the structural tissue repair of that tissue set. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because the medical system says that Crohn's is an autoimmune condition, and I 100% disagree. But the way that I described, you know, thinking about it, um, has been consistently effective at helping people for many, many years now in, in my practice. So now which herbs are involved? Now that really depends a lot on the individual and what exactly is going on with them, the specifics of their situation. With herbs in general, there's oftentimes like 15, 20 different herbs that could be used for a particular type of thing, but which one you choose is going to be dependent on the details of how things are happening for an individual. So anyway, I'll leave it at that, but that's that's the basics. Thank you, Josh. We really appreciate that. Um, sure. We have another caller, Joseph, and you have a question for um, 
all of our guests? Yes, I have a question for all of the guests. I have a nephew who's 26 years old, really lovely person, although um, recently he had a psychiatric um, event such that he actually hallucinated uh, someone talking to him. He was brought into mental health facility, and then they administered uh, Abilify to him. And I'm just wondering, are there some... Uh, botanical, uh, acupuncture, and or other modalities that would work better than psychotropic medications or psychotropic drugs uh, for him. Yeah, we. I see a lot of people with mental health issues, Joseph. Um, again, uh, it, it would be a, somewhat of an individualized treatment just depending on what's going on. If he's generally already taking Abilify, a lot of times what we work with is treating some of the side effects of those and also trying to get them stable. We have usually have people work with their physician if they want to wean off that pharmaceutical and using acupuncture as a way of, of buffering um, some of the process of coming off of those drugs. Okay. Thank you so much. That's Any, anybody else want to chime in? Oh, well, I guess it's too late. There's yeah. the music. So as we uh, end tonight's show, we want to let folks know that we are in our outreach program for Group 43. If you're interested in this program, please give us a call at 848-6767, extension 235, or go to org to get more information and or an application. So first, I want to thank all of our guests, Amelia Barilli, yoga and Qigong instructor, Joshua Muscat, herbalist, and Jeff Levin, manager of the Oakland Acupuncture Project. Our executive producer is Ms. M. Yay, thank you for coming on the show, Ms. M. <laughs> our technical director is Free Will and Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. David is on the board, and we have Darlene as the tech assistant for tonight. I am your host, Teresa Adams. And I'm Ms. M. Thank you. Stay, stay tuned for La Onda Bajita. Thank you.